Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, LGBTQ activists object to evangelical pastor Max Lucado's sermon at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., and pastors are caught up in a child porn sting operation in Florida. We begin today with a story of well-known radio personality Eric Metaxas, who is named this week in a defamation lawsuit. Yeah, the lawsuit was filed by lawyers for Dr. Eric Coomer, who is an executive at Dominion Voting Systems. It was originally filed back in December, but it was amended significantly this week. What does the lawsuit say? Well, it says that Eric Metaxas, uh, former President Donald Trump, and others uh, are spreading false claims about Eric Coomer himself. For example, the lawsuit said that uh, he was part of Antifa and rigged the 2020 presidential election. The lawsuit also names others, not just Eric Metaxas. Uh, some of those named include a blogger Michelle Malkin, the conservative news and opinion uh, website Newsmax, and this is significant, Joe Altman, uh, who Eric Metaxas interviewed on his radio program, which is aired by the Salem Media Group. And that's one of the largest Christian radio networks in the country. The lawsuit says that statements that both Altman and Metaxas made on the Eric Metaxas show resulted in Eric Coomer receiving death threats. Our next story involves pastor and author Max Licato. Yeah, more than 1,600 people have uh, so far signed a petition protesting uh, the Washington National Cathedral's decision to host Max Licato, who's, of course, an evangelical pastor from San Antonio, as a guest preacher last weekend, saying that the move contradicted the Episcopal Church's stance supporting LGBTQ inclusion. Even though, by the way, I should say we call the big church in Washington, the National Cathedral. It is, in fact, a part of the Episcopal Church. It's owned by the Episcopal Church. The petition attempted to pressure the National Cathedral to rescind its invitation ahead of the event, citing specifically a 2004 article Max Lucado wrote called What God Says About Gay Marriage, in which he called homosexuality a sexual sin and says the Bible never minces words about God's feelings towards homosexual activity. Did the petition drive succeed? Well, no, it didn't. He went ahead and preached uh, as normal, though I should say that uh, Cathedral Dean Randy Hollerith defended the decision to let Max Licato speak, uh, saying that the church's commitment to LGBTQ members remained unshakable and unchanged. But he also said, uh, when we only engage with those with whom we agree on every issue, we find ourselves in a dangerous and lonely place. Now, Cathedral spokesman Kevin Extra 
Ingram uh, said that Max Lucado was not asked to preach on LGBTQ issues. The subject of a sermon, which was pre-recorded and aired on February 7th, according to the original plan, was how God can bring calm to our chaos. And in fact, the Reverend Gene Robinson, who's a retired Episcopal bishop of New Hampshire and the first openly gay bishop in the Anglican Communion, was the man who actually presided over the service where Max Lucado preached. Our next story is an update of a story that we brought to you late last year. Yeah, two Baptist schools in Texas have regained control over a Texas foundation that was established to benefit the two schools. Uh, The Texas-based philanthropist Harold E. Riley had set up the Harold E. Riley Foundation to benefit Baylor University and Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. However, board members of the foundation had been attempting to divert support away from those two schools and instead support a nonprofit controlled by former Southwestern Seminary President Paige Patterson. But as a result of this week's decision, that's not going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. Uh, The terms of a settlement were announced on Monday, and it was a stunning defeat for Paige Patterson and his allies. Uh, Board members with ties to Patterson had to resign from the board of the foundation. Uh, Baylor University and Southwestern Seminary will get to name replacement board members, and the trustees consented to return all property owned by the foundation, including computers, vehicles, files, and credit cards to Baylor and Southwestern. Wait, so why would the board members have computers, vehicles, files, and credit cards supplied by the foundation? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, You could maybe see how staff members would, but for board members, it's kind of strange. Uh, The answer appears to be at least implied in the lawsuit itself. The lawsuit said that Paige Patterson and the trustees aligned with him were, in fact, attempting to divert funds for their personal benefit. And Warren, our next story begins with a terrible event in Florida that some of our listeners may have heard about. Two FBI agents were recently killed in Florida, and they died when they were executing a search warrant against a Florida man accused of violent sexual crimes against children. Yeah, it's a really terrible story, and it did make the national news. But when I first heard it, I didn't think it had much to do with Ministry Watch or Christian Ministry General until one of our writers, Steve Ravey, pointed out to me that this law enforcement action, which is uh, had been happening throughout the state, was part of a significant effort to push back on child sex trafficking and that some of the people arrested were pastors. Yeah. In fact, Steve Ravey discovered that nearly a dozen pastors and church workers in Florida and elsewhere have been charged with possessing child pornography and or other sex crimes against children in recent months. Yeah, the most recent cases follow, unfortunately, a familiar pattern. Pastors and other Christian workers get hooked on child porn themselves that they access either through the dark web or apps on their phone, and and then they move from there to sometimes staging and filming the sex acts themselves, but often keeping these activities completely walled off from their churches and their public identities. 
And Warren, this is a family podcast, so I don't think we have to go into a lot of details, but can you share some of the specifics so we can at least understand what's involved here? Yeah, it's always a tough line, Natasha, to you know explain enough for, so that people really understand what's going on and just how horrible it is, but not so much that it uh, you know becomes um, you know inappropriate in and of itself. But let me just mention a couple of cases. Uh, William Milam, he's 62 years old, a pastor at Olivet Baptist Church, which is a Southern Baptist congregation in Milton, Florida, and he was well known. Uh, for his preaching locally against, for example, the evils of alcohol. In fact, he preached a sermon at his church as usual on December the 13th, and the very next day he was arrested and charged with two counts of promoting sexual performance of a child and 25 counts of possession of child pornography. Uh, He is now in jail on a $2.7 million bond. Wow, that is horrible. Yeah, it's horrible for the victims, of course, and also for the church, which is completely wrecked by the scandal. Uh, Church members said that they were dumbfounded, according to a statement. Uh, This statement read in part, uh, the church was shocked to hear about the arrest of its former pastor. We are in fervent prayer for all involved, including law enforcement, as they seek to uncover the truth of this situation. And I understand that this list goes on. Yeah, it does. Uh, I'll mention just one more. Uh, Sean Fitzgerald, 46 years old, fooled not only the people of First Methodist Church of Bartow, Florida, where he served as director of youth, but also at Lakeland High School, where he was a teacher who coached soccer and tennis. Now, get this. He was charged with 408 counts of child pornography, jailed on a $2 million bond after law enforcement used technology to crack open a, an electronic vault of horrific images that featured children, some of them less than a year old, 10 months old. Uh, more charges will likely be forthcoming as investigators try to determine if the children featured in these photographs were, in fact, local kids. So Warren, what are the lessons here for the rest of us? Well, I think there are a lot of lessons. Uh, I think the main one is that pastors need accountability and they need to live lives of transparency. Lots of pastors, especially in small churches, work alone. And I got to say, if you're a pastor and you find yourself in that situation, or if you go to a church where that's the case in your church, you need to have some serious conversations internally as a leadership team to protect your pastor from being in situations where temptations uh, could abound. And sometimes it starts small and gets bigger. The best time to catch it is when it's small. And by the way, I, I recommend that our listeners read Steve Raby's complete article. It covers much more ground uh, than we're able to cover here. It's a tough read in spots, but as I said, it's also important that Christians not look away from this very real problem afflicting the world and even the church. Warren, we have to take a break here, but when we return, California churches are starting worshiping again. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. 
Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, let's continue with the story that I promised before the break about California churches. Warren, what's the latest? Well, the Supreme Court ruled uh, Friday that uh, California can't bar indoor church services because of the coronavirus pandemic, but it can keep, for now at least, a ban on singing and chanting indoors. The high court issued orders late last Friday in two cases where churches had sued over coronavirus-related restrictions in the state. The high court said that, for now at least, California can't ban indoor worship as it had uh, because uh, virus cases were so high. The justices said that the state can, though, cap indoor services at 20 of the building's capacity. I should add, though, that some of the justices, including new justice Amy Coney Barrett, objected to the singing ban. She wrote that if a chorister can sing in a Hollywood studio, but not in a church, then California's regulations cannot be viewed as neutral. Uh, The justices said that churches who sued can submit new evidence to a lower court that the singing ban is not being applied uh, equally or generally to all organizations. By the way, the ruling was six to three with the court's three liberal justices dissenting. And you have another Supreme Court case for us. I do. Uh, Three main families are asking the U.S. Supreme Court to rule on a state policy that they say unfairly excludes religious schools uh, under a tuition-free choice program that was uh, put in place by the state. Uh, The lawsuit was originally filed in 2018, and Maine District Court Judge D. Brock Hornby ruled against these families in June of last year. An appeal was rejected by the first U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Boston in October, and now uh, these main families are taking their case to the highest court in the land, hoping that the district court ruling will be overturned. It bodes well for these families that the high court in June of 2020 ruled in favor of religious freedom in a very similar case. Uh, That case was called Espinoza versus the Montana Department of Revenue. That case said that the Constitution does not allow states to discriminate against religious parents or schools when they are offering an educational choice program. Now, for the past few months or so, financial planning expert Dave Ramsey has been in the news, and sometimes not in a good way. But this week, we have a story at Ministry Watch that says that Dave Ramsey is not the only game in town. Yeah, that's right. He's not. Uh, motivated in part by these Dave Ramsey stories, religion news service writer Bob Smetanya took a look at the various groups that are doing similar work, and he found that there are quite a lot of them. Can you give us a couple of examples? Well, sure. Uh, There are local groups such as the Boston Faith and Justice Network, and then there are Catholic groups such as ConsumerCatholic.com and Compass Catholic. But probably the biggest evangelical ministry is 
Crown Financial Ministries based in Knoxville. Chuck Bentley is the president of Crown Financial Ministries. And I should say, uh, by the way, and in the spirit of disclosure, that um, we've had Chuck um, in the, uh, I should say, the pages, but on the website at Ministry Watch in the past. And I'm going to be interviewing Chuck Bentley for our Ministry Watch Extra podcast episode next week. But until then, check out this Ministry Watch story on our website. It's right on the front page. Lauren, we have to take another break here. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, up next, news from our partners at the Nonprofit Times. A new survey of fundraisers finds them pretty upbeat about how 2020 ended, but still concerned about 2021. Yeah, the Arlington-based Association of Fundraising Professionals does a periodic fundraising confidence survey uh, in which they ask fundraisers to rate on a scale of 1 to 10 how confident they are about meeting current fundraising goals and also taking a look into the future. And the latest survey found that confidence has risen significantly since September of last year when a similar survey was taken. I should mention that this survey includes all nonprofits and not just Christian groups. But when the fundraisers were asked what their actual giving numbers were, 35% said that they had actually raised more in 2020, 38% said that they were receiving a little less, 21% that they were at about the same level, 6% said they didn't have enough data to know for sure yet. Uh, These numbers, by the way, are somewhat better than the September survey. Now, one more story from the Nonprofit Times, and this one is about board composition. Yeah, here at Ministry Watch, we get a lot of questions about boards of directors or trustees. So we started posting more articles about board governance and how to pick a board and how to be a good board member. In fact, we've created a new tab on our website called for ministry leaders. And that's the place on our site where you can find those kinds of stories uh, and um, other stories too about issues that might be of interest to board members and ministry executives. And the story you mentioned, who's on your board, is one of those stories. Uh, This article identifies some of the qualities, and by that I mean skills and experiences that you want in board members. It's a really helpful article for ministry leaders, and uh, we'll be posting more articles like that in the weeks ahead. 
Now, Warren, let's close the show with a lightning round of regular features. First, who's in the ministry spotlight this week? Yeah, this week we've got Habitat for Humanity. I'm guessing a lot of our listeners may know about them. Uh, it's a $300 million a year organization. And um, also they have a lot of volunteers working on projects. Pre- former President Jimmy Carter is famous for going on Habitat for Humanity projects. But before you go on another volunteer project with Habitat, you might want to take a look at our profile in the ministry spotlight. Uh, It's not a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, for example. Habitat gets one star as its financial efficiency rating, which is our lowest rating. The ministry does a lot of great work, but it's got issues as well. Uh, Our ministry spotlight shines a light on some of those issues. It's really easy to find and to read right on the front page of our website. Strongly recommend that you check that out. And finally, the ministry's making a difference. Yeah, Christina Darnell each week highlights the work of three or four uh, Christian ministries. This week, she's got Free International, an Assemblies of God ministry that was founded back in 2007, uh, which coordinated what they called a big search throughout the Super Bowl weekend to help communities across the country find missing children. Also among the ministries making a difference this week is the First Responders First Ministry, which provided meals to first responders in the greater Charlotte area, which of course, is where I live, uh, families that had been impacted by COVID. Well, that's good news that brings us to a close. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Bob Smetania, Jessica Gresco, Steve Raby, Richard Levy, and Bob Pritzer. And thanks to our friends at the Nonprofit Times for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. 